Welcome to the Zen Stoic Path, where we share a modern take on timeless wisdom so that you can develop unshakable inner peace and live a liberated life. On this special segment of our episodes, we go into the Liberated Life interviews, where we go outside of the bounds of Zen Stoic philosophy and we talk to people who are exemplary in creating what we call a liberated life. Zen Stoic is a philosophy that aims at creating liberation, but it itself is not liberation. And so we bring in special guests that show us their take on how to live a liberated life. And on this episode, I have a dear friend of mine, Sydney Garcia, the founder of Pachamama, where she helps mothers awaken to the love, wonder, and magic of motherhood. Sydney is a mom and a mystic who has always been fascinated by the mystery of life. The birth of her first child in the midst of a dark period catapulted her spiritual journey to new levels. She was guided down a path of feminine embodiment and the energy medicine of the Kero shamanic lineage taught by the Four Winds Society. Through this journey around the medicine wheel, she honored her ancestors, healed generational patterns, learned rituals to connect with the wisdom of Mother Earth, and ultimately awakened to the profound levels of love with her partner and children. She is now endeavoring to help other mamas and families to heal their patterns, develop greater presence, and connect to Earth. So this was an amazing conversation that I got to have with Sydney. We talked a lot about spiritual bypass, which is typically something that is a blind spot for people on the spiritual journey. The reason being is because with spiritual bypass, people will tend to essentially rush through the challenging or the growth-oriented phases of spiritual growth, where they will essentially try to feel good and not feel any of the, the struggle or the challenge. And we talk a lot about spiritual bypass and how to deal with that so that you're not getting caught in a momentum of expediency. So Sydney is an amazing person and friend of mine, and I'm so inspired by the journey that she's taken and the growth that she's experienced. One of the key things that she talks about in this episode with me is the idea of surrendering. Now, surrender sometimes has a negative connotation with people, right? We sometimes in, in this personal development world, it's all about using your will and taking action and you know being strong all the time. But the reality is that a lot of our growth doesn't actually come from that mindset and can actually take a different path when we actually lean into this idea of surrender, which in Zen Stoic terms, we call this having the intention of embrace and loving what is. And we use this idea of surrender to heal generational wounds that we might have, things that we might not even be aware of consciously. But when we surrender into it, when we lean into it, we're able to create magic in our lives. So without further ado, here's the conversation with Sydney Garcia. I know you'll absolutely love it just as much as I did. Enjoy. I'm very curious because I know you've been up to some like different things lately, right? Regarding plant medicine, shamanism, all that fun stuff. So yeah. tell me about that journey. Like, how did you get into that? Yeah, um, through a second dark night of the soul. A second one. Oh, <laughs> a second one. Yeah, yeah, I had two. So someone told me, I think, no, a friend of mine told me that if you are on the path of entrepreneurship, a lot of times you have two dark nights of the soul. Ah, <laughs> uh, yes. One that like spiritually right. initiates you onto the spiritual path, and then one that's like, all right, now you're, oh, <laughs> now you're going to uh, be on this path. And, you need to go through like your stuff before you can go serve the world. Um, yeah. So I had been working with Sean, our mutual friend mm -hmm. and had made amazing transformational growth, uh, through his psychohacking 
model and which is basically just building awareness through of your mind and that was the first um exposure i ever had to any any idea that you are much more than your mind that's right and it was amazing yeah and it it woke me up and uh was so passionate about it i wanted to bring it to the world through a sales training that i was going to offer in b2b sales and the moment that I like literally the moment that I quit my six figure job to get started and was like, let's go, uh, surprise pregnancy with my daughter. Oh, look at that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, universe. Oh, Here's the timing the of these things. <laughs> yes. Yep. And all the identities I had around being a spiritual person, around uh, you know, being on this conscious path, around wanting to serve the world, around being a career person, an entrepreneur, just got like shattered. So I was going through like three identity crises, like quitting a job to become an entrepreneur and then uh becoming a mom. Yes. <laughs> and then we had just recently been married. So I was still navigating, you know, what it means to be a wife and all the conditioning around that. So Anyways, what I learned um, on my path through through that kind of plunged me down, had a little bit of postpartum depression, mm-hmm. and it really woke me up, though, to the depth of emotion that I had repressed. Mm-hmm. And I started learning about the importance of like the body. So I had really developed a lot of mental awareness, but I had not developed a lot of body awareness and emotional awareness in terms of fully feeling things. Right. Um, so I was in huge spiritual bypass, a huge spiritual mm-hmm. bypass. I'm just talking so, about the other day with uh, Mark Divine. We had a whole conversation on spiritual bypass. Yeah, I need to listen to that one because I'm sure it still pops up everywhere. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's very sneaky. It's so sneaky. It is, especially because I'm generally an optimist. <laughs> yeah. What's that? I said, yeah, like you said, being an optimist and thinking that you're doing the right things, yeah. in some ways, ends up being means of bypass. And it's, it's really important to be able to distinguish and have the awareness to know when you're doing that. And obviously it takes practice, takes like a lot of trial and error to, to build that yeah. awareness up. I'm sure you went through as well. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you, what do you do to check yourself? Do you just ask yourself constantly? You're an optimist as well. I think very much so. Yeah, <laughs> I would say so. Um, the way that I do it at least is I check on the intentions, right? I have you, you're familiar with the framework of the intentions and delusions. So I always yeah. check on the intention specifically with when it comes to that, I wonder, am I being expedient? Am I chasing a gratification mm-hmm. or am I doing what's most meaningful? And sometimes what's most meaningful is like also most uncomfortable. <laughs> so yeah, yep. It's easy to talk ourselves out of that because it doesn't feel very good to go down that path. So we'd rather just do what feels good and that we also think is going to do something good for us. Yeah, I love it. That's a good one. I'll add that one to my toolbox. Uh, that brings me up to like, I'm asking myself, am I surrendering? Can I surrender more? Mm. Is Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is there something I don't want to face? Yes, that, that's <laughs> a good question. Is there something I don't want to face? Or is there something I'm avoid facing? Yeah. Uh, and I think that that's the way you kind of start to catch that. <laughs> yeah, totally. Oh, that's a good one. Oh, thank you. Um. Yeah, so I was a big spiritual bypass. And then um. Ah, I started seeing chiropractors mm. and that was super woo woo to me at the time. Uh, I, I had heard something about something, a technique called network spinal analysis three times. Mm-hmm. And if I hear something three times within a very short period, I generally think, okay, the universe is trying to tell me something. Mm-hmm. So I started seeing these chiropractors and really learned about the world of the energy, like mm-hmm. our 
energetic world yes in our body and like my life began changing very quickly in mm-hmm. six months after seeing them and became super fascinated with with energy in the body um then I had a very unique opportunity to end up in Costa Rica it just popped up huge synchronicity after I had done some healing around my relationship to motherhood mm-hmm. and that was my first exposure to plant medicine mm-hmm. which was mind-blowing <laughs> um I had a lot of fears around it at first it was super scary to me because I was very afraid of losing my mind uh, yeah. I have a very strong mind and I want to hang on to it mm-hmm. um but it was so healing and that just dove me even deeper into the body and the energy mm-hmm. And more synchronicities kind of unfolded. Um, I started working with a coach on like sexual energy. Mm-hmm. And then next thing I knew, I was enrolled in a shaman course. It just kind of happened on accident again. Yes, and <laughs> yeah, things just started unfolding. And that's, I had become familiar with Michael Singer's work. Uh, he wrote The Untethered Soul and he talks about it's so, so good. You should, it's so you should good. definitely dive into some of that today yes. in this conversation. <laughs> We can do that. Yeah, I love his framework around the samskaras. And so all this was just kind of falling into place. And I was just seeing like how powerful our energetic landscape and our physical landscape is um, to the spiritual development process. So that's kind of how I ended up on all these funky paths. I love it. Yeah. Sometimes never would have imagined. Sometimes just embracing, right? The you use the word surrender. And you know, we were mentioning the intentions and delusions before. And that is one of the 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 sets of intention and delusion is embrace versus resistance. And you were resisting at first the plant medicine because you had a strong mind. You didn't want to lose your mind, but instead you surrendered, you embraced that. And when I think about Michael Singer's work and I think about the surrender experiment, that that book is a just a 101 of surrender <laughs> of, of embrace. Like if anybody is having trouble with embracing the uncertainty or embracing the opportunities or even yeah. the challenges in their lives, that is an amazing resource, right? That he wrote, like just hearing or like reading or hearing his story. If you did it in my case, where I listened to the audiobook, but it is profound. What can, what can happen when somebody just shifts from resistance to embrace? And it seems like you did that that same thing in your life. And it has catapulted you into this beautiful world of, of synchronicities, realizations, and your own fulfillment. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. I highly recommend that book. And I did listen to an audible as well. Uh, I think at least twice. And it's so beautiful. He just makes it so simple because the world of energy can feel so complex sometimes. And he makes it so simple the way he just, he just surrendered moment to moment. And it's a beautiful example. And if you haven't listened uh, to, I had so many questions after reading the surrender experiment. Like if I'm not the one who's choosing moment to moment then like what is what is animating through me right like those higher questions we have about how spirit moves through us and he's got a really amazing I think it's an eight-part series on audible super cheap Mm, um living from a living from a place of surrender it's so good I've listened to that one like three times and he just goes a little deeper into like where his journey took him on that book in the surrender experiment. I recommend all three. <laughs> Beautiful. I'm, I'm going to be checking that one out. Check it out. It's so yeah. good. And then we can nerd I, out about it later. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I'm sure when, when you meet my girlfriend, you, you two will nerd out on that because that book, 
like absolutely changed her life. And she talks about it all the time when, when it comes to like somebody embarking on this path. It's like, yeah. read that, <laughs> read the surrender experiment, untethered soul. Sometimes in that order, actually, even. <laughs> I like it that order too. I do some too. Reason. Like learning mm-hmm. the story because he wrote the surrender experiment after the untethered soul, which yeah. is interesting because the it was a surrender experiment is actually like a prequel. Like this is how he came to the untethered soul, which is just an absolutely like mind bending book. That is also yeah. simultaneously incredibly simple. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. I didn't realize it is the prequel, but it was written second. But yeah, that's why he wrote it. <laughs> yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I like that order too. Totally. Yeah. I think I'm going to read all three or listen to all three again. Yeah. So good. Absolutely. So I, I'm very curious because you, you were talking about, you know, being an entrepreneur uh, or having these, the way you had said it was like being like a businesswoman, right? <laughs> like making the six figures and then transitioning from that life into this work of service where you are learning shamanism and how to work with plant medicines and how to help people wake up. Obviously, that could be a very tough transition for people, <laughs> right? Not just not just the entrepreneurial jump from like employee to entrepreneur, but also entrepreneur or at least that that type of materialistic worldly stuff into more of the spiritual realm, which in my view, they're all the same. Like there is no separation between them, but societally we seem to have this kind of a separation between material world and spiritual world. And Mm -hmm. that in and of itself, in my opinion, is one of the problems is the Mm -hmm. fact that we do separate it. So what was that like for you making like those transitions that sequentially and that quickly? Yeah. Um, it was very uh, humbling, very mm-hmm. humbling. And it was like learning these very deep lessons of exactly what you said, like how things were manifesting into the physical. Cause I had a really big separation between what I saw as spiritual and then what I saw as material. Mm-hmm. And so the transition of like, the best way to explain it is like through the dark night of the soul, I guess. Mm-hmm. So, um, David and I were, my husband were, uh, coming up against all sorts of contractions, mm. ones that I had like, never really, I, I just like, I was living kind of in the spiritual all the time mm. in spiritual bypass. And so I wasn't really understanding why things weren't manifesting the way, um, I wanted them to, mm. and I was not connecting and I wasn't very grounded. And so because I wasn't grounded, I mean, I literally remember feeling like I was only spirit for a while and not connected to my body. Mm -hmm. And that showed up in a lot of difficulties in our like sexual intimacy in our marriage um, around connecting with my daughter. Things just weren't making sense anymore. And -hmm. so the plant medicine, even though like it shot me up into very spiritual things, it's got a beautiful way of also allowing some grounding some of the plant medicines some of them just shoot you up yeah just Um, (laughs) what's that they shoot you up and they just keep you there (laughs) yeah they just keep you there exactly uh but like the mushrooms I did for example made me feel so like earthy and grounded and they 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 were so good for my spirit for what I needed at, at that time um And I so agree. And so about like how we separate them and through the shamanism program, why I gravitated toward it was because they really put that up front and emphasize. I drew an Oracle card today and Mm -hmm. it was middle world. And I'll explain like why that's so perfect that you brought this up. So it's this idea that like the upper world is the spiritual, the lower world is like what we strive towards. Mm 
the mm-hmm. lower world is sort of the unconscious mm-hmm. um and then like where our shadow is and then the middle world is where it all manifests mm-hmm. and they kind of really emphasize how when heaven and earth are balanced how they explain sort of like the material and the spiritual mm-hmm. uh middle world where we manifest is like in perfect balance and creation yes. so um so yeah so i agree like the the spiritual and the material are often separated and it's just that program spoke to me because it was like about how to use the spiritual in the everyday Mm. and and to manifest on a daily basis and I think what I love most about what I'm practicing on a day-to-day basis now is the practice of like beauty Mm. and it's seeing beauty in the material world all the time like everything spiritual isn't always just what we're striving to to get closer and closer to whatever we believe in but it can be like found in these moments of like awe like here like this is where we see it in the very ordinary ordinary moments and you can see that through opening yourself up to seeing beauty every single day it's amazing that's right yeah and and that's a really great exercise to give yourself right seeing beauty Mm -hmm. in the ordinary every single day because nature itself is absolutely astounding when we become adults though and we (laughs) start to familiarize everything and just see it as like quote unquote normal then we stop allowing ourselves to feel the awe and i'll have moments sometimes where i'll just like look at like for example i'm like looking out my window right now and i'm seeing like a tree and just the abundance of leaves and branches and the intricacies and like how unique and perfect it is. And like, we never stop to think about that at all. And mm-hmm. I feel like as when obviously you, you have children now that are young and you yeah. see them just awestruck at like the simplest things, just blown away. And when we forget that, it seems like we start to also forget our own power, our own magic to, to create in life and yeah. also to be curious, right? Like what, uh-huh. what a gift it is to actually just be curious and wondrous of all the things that life has to offer. Yeah, that's where I see the most beauty right now is my children. My I have two girls, two mm-hmm. and a half, and one that's seven weeks old. Yeah. And right. um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so I'm still a little sleep deprived today, um, but it's beautiful. And and yeah, those moments of wonder and awe, like that's what started to pull me up out of the dark night of the soul. Mm-hmm. And as I started um, becoming more familiar with. The energetics behind it and like what was trapped in my body and releasing that I started seeing the awe and wondering my girls even more and more and more yes. so that whole identity crisis I had like it part of me really resisted motherhood and mm-hmm. it was very hard to admit that to myself because of course I wanted to be a good mother but because it was an unplanned pregnancy there was a lot of emotion around it that it was the wrong time quote it wasn't what I wanted um so it was I was on this spiritual mission and like now I'm not going to be able to do it and so my spiritual ego um really resisted like allowing this to happen and so it led to a lot of pain around motherhood which is why I had postpartum and I had to really as I the the surrender for me was like letting those emotions come up and acknowledging them Mm. and not judging them, which is really hard when like you, you want to be this amazing, loving mother and you do, but you have to acknowledge that there's some kind of blockage there. 
Yeah. Which is like the samskara that we talked about that Michael Singer talks about. Could you, and, uh, before yeah. you, you go on, could you define uh, the samskara for, you know, anybody listening who's unfamiliar with yeah. that term? Yeah. Yeah. So we have an energy system. We have an energy body. And as we go through life and we are brought into presence with moment to moment is passing. If for whatever reason we resist the moment or we overly attach to the moment, um, it creates a blockage. We're not letting the energy of that move of that moment move through our consciousness. And so that energy blockage is called a samskara. And so in the future, when you are brought another moment that's similar or resembles it in any way, the samskara gets triggered. And that's what you, it, like the energy moves through the samskara and you feel, you feel the way you did when that samskara was generated because yeah. that samskara wants to be digested. It wants to be fully experienced. Mm. Um, so it's like a blockage and you can have ones that you resisted or ones that you overly clung to, like maybe your high school sweetheart, like you really love that. <laughs> Maybe that's both positive and negative. Those are the tricky ones when there's both positive and negative too. <laughs> yeah, I know. And you're really just trying to filter through it. Yeah. So when some scar gets triggered, it really wants to be what he calls digested. It wants to be fully experienced and to pass through your consciousness. Mm-hmm. And if it's not able to, then that some scar will keep getting triggered um, and you'll keep feeling lots of emotions and it gets very confusing uh, it's hard to find the stillness when those are constantly being like triggered. Mm, that's very interesting. It, mm-hmm. it actually reminds me a lot of the work that I do. And we were talking about before we, we jumped on this, this podcast, the liberation session. Um, Cause I, I don't think you and I had ever talked about it previously, but we were discussing how the first day of it, it's, it's become a two, a two day thing. Right. And day mm-hmm. one is very literally like a lifetime of therapy in a day. And whenever I say that, people are like, how is that possible? Or like they say to you, like that's or like like how you were thinking, like that sounds like hyperbole. Okay. And it does. However, the whole focus of it is actually clearing the major samskaras, except mm. we'll, 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 we'll categorize them or say them in the, in the format of major negative emotions or significant emotional experiences or traumas. And there is a method of clearing them, but the way, the reason why it's so important to do that, especially on the first day of the liberation session is because if somebody is intending on creating results in the present and the future, like let's say you were talking about manifesting and bringing in the things that you wanted versus um, experiencing not bringing in the things that you want, (laughs) so to speak. One of the reasons for that is because every, to me, every ambition that we're doing is very much like, uh, climbing a mountain, right? We're going uphill and that's a good thing. Like as human beings, we need that experience of going uphill Mm -hmm. of pursuing something because as we do, that's what, that's when we feel most alive. We feel like we're growing and progressing. And when we're carrying that weight of our past in the form of some scars or major negative emotions or significant emotional events, traumas, all that, what's that, what we end up doing is it's almost like we're climbing the mountain with a weighted backpack or, or we're pushing a boulder up the mountain or trying to pull like a sled, whatever metaphor you want to use for that. The point is there's a lot of weight there. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. The way that I, I usually language it to people is it's very much like carrying emotional debt. Mm -hmm. The emotional Mm -hmm. debt is consistently pinging you 
via the events that you get triggered in mm-hmm. to pay it or to yeah. lease it yeah. in some way. And if you don't, when it gets triggered, then it just comes back with interest. Mm-hmm. Oh, I love that. Just, just like in financial terms, when we think about it in our material world, that interest compounds. Mm-hmm. And eventually it hits critical mass. And then you react a 10 out of 10 to something that really and truly should be a two out of 10 of a reaction. Mm-hmm. Like that would be an appropriate mm-hmm. reaction of said emotion, but because it's been built up so much, that's yeah. the reaction that actually comes out because it's getting agitated every single time. So the whole mm-hmm. purpose of removing those is to be able to understand what were those emotions trying to tell you in the first place? What mm-hmm. were the lessons or the messages that they were trying to signal to you? Cause the way that I've always looked at emotions since I've been doing this work is that emotions are signals. They're signals that are trying to teach you something, trying to bring more awareness or trying to give you a lesson or principle or message of some kind. If -hmm. you don't get that, then the emotions like, okay, I'll try you again. Yeah. And it just keeps going and it it, it buys the signal. And once it that's received, the emotion no longer has purpose for being. So it leaves. Mm -hmm. And so (laughs) for the reason why it, you know, going back to that whole idea of like a lifetime of therapy is that typically therapy doesn't do that. It just mm-hmm. talks about it and it brings it to awareness. But then the diminishing return becomes when you strengthen the narrative around those significant emotional events or traumas or things that yeah. trigger you. And now you're in a situation where you're now aware of the problems and the emotional debt and you have a whole narrative and story packed with emotional charge and vivid language that keeps it bound into place. Here, Yeah. That yeah. keeps it in the here and now. Yeah. I love all those metaphors. Um, yeah. That's so beautiful. And it's like helping me to continue to integrate my experiences. So thank you for, for sharing. You're very welcome. <laughs> but yeah, it, it, it's a perfect metaphor for what you're saying regarding some scars and like, yeah, they like agitate you and they're like, Hey, Remember this thing? <laughs> Remember this thing? Because you're never yeah. reacting to the thing in front of you. You're reacting to the very first time you felt that particular sensation of emotion. Yeah. I just told my good girlfriend that because she's about to be a mom and she's got a lot of real fears. I mean, she very vulnerable and opened up to me and said she's afraid she won't love her child. Mm. And I had that fear too. And I'm so glad you said that because it's so important. I think when you start to learn to digest on a deeper level, these samskaras, uh, and just want to make the choice to want to face what maybe originally wasn't faced when they were formed. Mm-hmm. It's important to know that the way it's showing up now is not what it's about. And so I think she's so appreciated when I told her, like, this is not about your daughter that's coming into the world. Like it's coming up because it wants to be felt. And mm-hmm. this is the way the universe is showing you, but it has nothing to do with that little, little girl who's coming. That's and right. that was, what I learned. And it was so important. Like, like what you said, I was climbing a mountain, a beautiful mountain, a great experience of becoming a mother. Mm -hmm. And I had all this emotional debt that was making it hard to enjoy the walk up the mountain and, and the growth. And as I finally through the chiropractors and then through other energy workers, and then the shaman program that I, I did my training through, as I was releasing all that emotional baggage with all the interest that had built up, (laughs) Mm -hmm. like 
every single day is becoming more and more magical with my daughters. Like mm. I love motherhood now and I want to spend all my time with my girls. It's amazing. And it's <laughs> amazing. It's amazing. And, and so it's like, it's not there to like make you feel like the present moment's not okay. If you open up to it and let it digest and let it out through whatever tools you use, then it's like here to give you a gift to enjoy what's there even more. <laughs> right. You don't have to even be afraid of it. Yeah. So it's, it's a gift. It's, I love that. Thank you. You're very welcome. Yeah. It, and, and I love that you framed it as a gift because those challenges, what I've realized is that they have way more to give us than they do to take away from us. Right. Like when you, when you pay financial debt, you might be like, Ooh, that's less money in my bank account. However, when you pay an emotional debt, <laughs> that's like you gain lessons and in, and in innate wisdom, like wisdom that quite frankly, you could never get in a book or a seminar or from even the best coach or philosopher in the world. Like yeah. your innate wisdom is the best and most profound for you. And you yeah. only discover that upon releasing these things and paying yeah. that emotional debt or uh, releasing the samskara within yourself. I love that. So it's a good distinction between financial interest. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the, like emotional, interest. the emotional well, interest feels worse. Yeah. <laughs> but when it's released, it's just, it's like magnitudes better <laughs> than the sensation. Yeah, like compounded interest in your favor. Correct. Like, yeah. It's, it's, it's a huge win yeah. and huge insight. And it just, the way that it clears people's paths for them moving mm. forward to not have like all that weight behind them is, is profound. And I'm sure you've had many experiences of that, especially going, you know, through plant medicine ceremonies. There's a lot of that, that gets released, like things you yeah. didn't realize were even there, right? Because you're diving into the, the unconscious at that point. Yeah. Yeah, totally. And yeah, that was your question about moving into that kind of world. Like as I began to see the beauty of, um, uh, that plant medicines can bring that digesting these samskaras like have for you things just started unfolding and it became my own little surrender experiment like the michael singer work it was amazing and and things just like fall into place it's beautiful like it's a very beautiful journey in life you're no longer resisting it and controlling it so all those questions i had about michael singer's work like if i let go and just surrendered everything then like i am already creating with spirit like then you know like what's really creating here like I'm losing everything and as that spiritual ego dissolved I'm just and I'm still in it right like mm -hmm. the everyday process that's right. just learning that's more right. and more where to surrender it's amazing so yeah it's layers yeah. You know? it's just layers just peeling off layers <laughs> yeah. we're, at the end of the day we're all just Shrek you know <laughs> we have layers an onion, <laughs> an onion. <laughs> <laughs> we're all ogres <laughs> <laughs> we're all ogres onion, right. stinky stinky onion ogres <laughs> that's right just just peeling our, our layers off <laughs> and, okay. and opening up to the to the world and the universe and all the all that it has to offer so i'm curious with with the direction that you're going in now obviously mm -hmm. seems very different than b2b sales <laughs> it's, a, mm -hmm. it's a totally different calling which i yep. think is fantastic what how do you feel that's going to manifest in terms of how you you serve people or do you have ideas already or a vision of of how you're going to deliver this yeah i do and it's been coming to me little by little and uh it's funny because same thing like i had an idea an attachment to how this was going to be based on the b2b way i was going to wake people up mm. um now it's much more flowy it's been coming to me little by little and right now uh it looks like a six-month container 
Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a very feminine practice. So we use the moon, the lunar moon in order to help us like think our intentions. And then also like, it's a good timeline of two weeks to four weeks to see energetic changes. Mm. So it's looking like a six week container uh, where you bring a really strong intention. And then every month receiving an energetic uh, practice to mm. help you release the samskaras. And then over the time of the six weeks, you can really develop massive transformation um, going through deeper levels or layers of the what the Andes shamans call the medicine wheel. Mm. So in the same way, like your liberation training is two days where the first day, like you're clearing everything. And then the second day, you're now moving Uh, into the present and future that's Mm. very similar to going around the energy wheel of the the medicine practices in the shaman training yes i did so it's like the the first uh bit is tracking all your patterns how how is the universe bringing your you your some scars right now how are they showing up and then um clearing that and kind of like what what you said like it's it's, it's nice because it's not therapy. It's not talk therapy. And that's what I realized. Like you can talk about these things all day long, but when you can just work on the energetic level, you're clearing it without having to talk about the story anymore. That's right. It's just released. It's gone. The samskara is gone. Mm -hmm. And then the second half of the six week container is our six month container is, um, bringing in the new. So, so, finding the sweet sources that we really, the beautiful sources that we want to co-create now and manifest our realities in. That's so, right. Six yeah. month, six month program, probably. <laughs> I love that. That's, that's really cool. And I think one thing that's really interesting since we're, we're kind of referencing how, how to release the story and the different mm-hmm. formats of talk therapy, I'll, I'll nerd out with you for a second here. <laughs> there, there's a, there's something that I've, I've learned recently, or I mean, I've learned it before, but it, it became very apparent recently, which is this idea that the neurotransmitters in our bodies, they interact with every single cell in the body. So we don't actually carry our memories in our, in our heads or in our brains. They're actually carried throughout our body and in, in all of our organs and muscles and everything, which is fascinating uh, yeah. for one. <laughs> the, the other thing too, is that with that being said, the the nature of those is influenced by the thoughts and the feelings that we have mm-hmm. right the emotions so typically when i'm working with people what we'll often find is that emotions are trapped in certain areas of the body and i'm sure you've you've encountered this as well in your work and in your mm-hmm. experiences mm-hmm. so what i find really really fascinating about that is that being that it can influence our biochemistry mm-hmm. it's really interesting is that the discussion and the talk of our problems happens within the boundaries of the problem that exists in the nervous system of the body. So there's the physical Mm -hmm. element of those problems being bound in the nervous system. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. talking about them is a good way to shine a light on them and to become Mm -hmm. aware of them. But that is the, that is the extent of the usefulness. Once we've gotten to that point, Talking about it more seems to just strengthen the bounds in the nervous system and keeps it even like stronger yeah. and tighter within there. So it's mm-hmm. interesting that you're saying like people can release their stories without even talking about them. And many, I, I've talked to many people where when I tell them about the work that I do, or when I mention 
the type of work that you do right around plant medicine and, you know, being able to re release these things, many people are kind of surprised and unknowingly subscribing to the myth that in order to release our problems, we have to talk about them. Mm -hmm. And so yeah. I'm curious from your perspective, like what, are, what is your view on that, of this idea mm -hmm. that maybe some of us listening to this podcast now maybe believe that in order to release your problems, you have to talk about them. What would you yeah. say? About that? Yeah. Um, you know, everybody has their own truth. So I never try to project my truth onto anybody else, but my experience has been, like you said, like there's a certain amount of benefit to, to acknowledging that there's a story present, mm -hmm. that something happened in your life. Like it's important to honor it and acknowledge it and get it out in the open. Mm -hmm. but we can become attached to our stories and you almost like you can almost see this the story the more you talk about it as a diagnosis and then you're identifying with it even more That's and right. when when you're doing that then it's like you're, you're not able to really like let it go into the past mm. and so I, I think that's why the work that I do is um, it allows for both, of course, the acknowledgement of, of the story, but mm -hmm. then also uh, like it's, it's okay. You it's in your power now to let that go truly. And mm -hmm. that's where conscious choice really comes in. And um, the power of ceremony in my work really allows for that because it's, it's bringing a lot of sacredness into the choice point you have when you've acknowledged fully um, what the past may have been. And then through ceremony and ritual, it kind of allows the, the brain to, it's almost like a signal to the limbic brain, like where, where all the emotions are that it can now let go of it and move on and no longer need to tell the story. Yes. And when the energy is cleared around it, then, uh, it doesn't manifest into the physical body anymore through all those neurotransmitters and such. So then you're getting the feedback in the body that it's, it's been cleared. And so it actually takes two to four weeks, mm. which is why uh, you can only have like an energy session once or twice per month. It takes a while for your energy field to kind of settle mm. around the change so that the physical body is getting the message that the story is gone, that whatever the original imprint is, is gone. Yeah. It's um, fascinating. So Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because cool. when, I, when I think about uh, the liberation session, like one very common piece of feedback I get and mm -hmm. something that I also have experienced while being the client on that side, on the, on, like on the other side of that work is that you'll have like stories and or beliefs or habits of thought try to yeah. run themselves again. Like even though you've released them, like the, the pattern, the, the strategy that runs in the mind to actually elicit those thoughts will start to like run again. But the difference is it's almost like somebody trying to start a car that has no gas in it because all the yes. charge is gone. So all the fuel is gone. So you exactly. kind of, get, you're like, Hit, and then <laughs> like nothing happens. And then that's such a great analogy. Yeah. And I'm, yeah. it sounds like that's the exact same thing that's happening right in between these energy sessions. And the amount of time actually lines up well with like my experience of this as well as client's experience of it it's like over like a period of weeks they'll have mm -hmm. those experiences are like I was about to get mad and then I realized there was nothing there so I could yes. and then I just dropped it <laughs> yeah it's amazing exactly and and it's so it's subtle and so the energy 
field is, we call it very subtle, it's subtle energy. We can't really see, it. it's not gross, it's not dense like our physical bodies. And it's such a subtle shift where like when I was working through the medicine wheel through six months, mm -hmm. um, I would bring up the samskaras around motherhood. And then all of a sudden it was the subtlest thing, like this old program that mm -hmm. this old neurochemistry, this old belief system, this old mental pattern, old behavior would show up and it just had no gas in it anymore. It was just like, oh, huh. like, just like you said, it just had no more fuel. So it helped. It's again so reaffirming to just hear from two people who have totally different ways of working on something the common truth within them i love that yeah that i that's actually that's a great point it's yeah this and again it it really edifies the whole point of the interview segment of this podcast it's like mm -hmm. liberation can come in many forms it's not just yeah. stoic like yeah. there are many other paths like infinite yeah. <laughs> if you will yeah to that. And, and I think what, what's really interesting about you saying that is this idea that when we are able to release these stories and then they try to run again without the emotional fuel, mm -hmm. but it gives us a very clear indication of is that not only was that behavior and or story neutral, mm -hmm. but all the other ones that you haven't released yet are also neutral. You just think that there's something because of the emotional charge. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's so good. Cause that's where the liberation is. And that's what I see now. I literally get excited when I feel a samskara come up and like, I'm like, oh yes, I can go present with this and like, let it go because I know it's going to be neutral super soon. And like, go ahead and just like pass and all that gifted compounded interest in my favor is just like waiting for me. That's so right. it just totally shifts the narrative around doing the inner work. Like it's not really work anymore. Yeah. <laughs> it is and it's not. It's so hard when it pops up, but you can surrender yeah. to it. Yeah. And it's good to feel those emotions of, of the challenging situation, right? Like as a sentient being, at least one thing that I, I share with people is that your unconscious mind, it does, it knows that holding on to negative emotion is unhealthy for the body, mm -hmm. but it also simultaneously finds negative or unpleasant emotion just as useful as positive and pleasant emotion, mm -hmm. just as interesting, just mm -hmm. as sacred, because the mm -hmm. human experience is all of it. It's not just one. Yeah. Thing. And when we think it's just one side of the coin, like, oh, I just have to feel pleasant feelings. That's when we get into a habit of bypass. Yep. Right through all of our all of our shit <laughs> so, yep. yeah. totally yeah I love what you said something earlier too that um uh resonates a little bit with this you mm -hmm. said something about um sometimes our memory doesn't have like a specific story to it mm -hmm. and that was very much so my experience yeah. and so when I allow for that that like I don't always need to understand where this came from Mm -hmm. And I remove the label or positive or negative, mm -hmm. I can allow it to really just flow through my body and, yeah. and to let it like express. And that's a big part of what my healing journey has brought me to. That's right. Um, so I look at, I actually believe that we have collective trauma, personal trauma and mm -hmm. ancestral trauma. And so a lot of the work I do is also within the ancestral lineages mm -hmm. that you have, what your family, 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 all the generations past may have passed down to you mm -hmm. and it's really fascinating now when I hear about how epigenetically we can see trauma has been passed mm -hmm. from like grandparent to parent to child that's so oh, yeah. fascinating it's amazing and so like 
uh, that was my experience. I had a lot of stuff come up like around motherhood, around like career, around marriage. That was not my personal, there was nothing in my personal story that really like could explain it. But when I opened myself that it could be collective or it could be ancestral and bring that same intention of not judging positive or negative, like my body's just telling me something needs to be digested. It's good for you, whether it's positive or negative yeah. and opened myself to that and brought healing to it through awareness and like whoop, able to like release it. Mm-hmm. It just, it, it just continues to accelerate it. So Absolutely. I love that you said, sometimes there's not a personal story even to it. Uh-huh. <laughs> like, that's right. Yeah. A lot of the, even the work that I do with the liberation session, people will find ancestral trauma beliefs mm-hmm. that started in other lifetimes or through generations, right. That, that have been passed down. And I, and I always explain to, to people that, or I preface that by saying whether or not that's historically true or accurate, factual really doesn't matter. The fact is yeah. your mind holds it that way because that's what it said just now. So mm-hmm. let's go with that. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if it, I, I feel like when people try to attach to historical accuracy within their own mm-hmm. healing and like, what are the exact details that actually happened? It actually throttles their progress because yeah. they're, una- they're, they're so fixated on being right rather than mm-hmm. being free. So mm-hmm. if it comes up, just embrace it. <laughs> yeah. We, we don't, we have terrible memories anyway, when it comes to like remembering exact details of anything, right? We make up stories right. and we feel things about stuff that isn't even true. So, yeah. so just embrace what your mind gives you. <laughs> so true. And that's what my mentor would say is he'd say like, um, it doesn't really matter what happened to you. What matters is how you feel about it, like how it impacted you, the way you remember it may be happening. And yeah, to your point, sometimes our memories are totally awful. Yes, <laughs> and so the point is, is it lives inside you that way. And so to just, I love that, just fully embrace it that way. That's so good. Yeah. Um, you just reminded me of something else that I wanted to yeah. bring up again. So you were talking about how you pulled the card of the Oracle today. Are, are you talking oh, yeah. about tarot? No, so Oracle cards are a little different. Um, so oh, tell me about this because I'm very curious about this because I have yeah. a whole, I have a whole thing about any kind of like cards or astrology readings or anything that like you know has become pop culture and people are like, oh, that's bullshit. Like I have a whole thing on that. So please share with me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So this is interesting. So do I. Um, so my background's in biochemistry. I got a master's in it, so I was super scientific, and right. I had a big problem with like things like oracle cards, tarot cards, divination, all that. Uh, no longer anymore. Now I fully embrace it. Beautiful. <laughs> and with for the me, background people. <laughs> with the, with a, a background in biochemistry, because my mind's just been blown for how little we understand. And, you know, even like, like holding loosely, you said the ancestral stories, like whether or not it's historically accurate, it doesn't matter. It's showing up in your system that way. So Anyway, I, I can acknowledge that it's not maybe scientific, but like, hey, go experiment for yourself and like exactly test it out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what matters at the end of the day is if it's meaningful and it's creating transformation. So an oracle card is different than a tarot. It's not really about predicting the future mm-hmm. um, so much as tuning into the energetics of what's occurring in someone's life at that moment mm-hmm. and receiving guidance or inspiration. And so the reason I like oracle cards is because it's not telling you um, sort of authoritatively the way you should be thinking about something. It's just an exercise of 
pulling something so that you can meditate on it and reflect on it and come up with your own truth through it, your own uh, guidance system, which is really big in my work as well. Like it's, it's not about like in my sessions, I'm never telling anybody what's going on um, in them. It's about holding sacred space allowing them to explore what it is they're feeling and to create new meaning around it. And so the Oracle cards are very useful. There is, I believe, uh, a magic to it that when two people are coming in order with the intention to create healing and transformation, uh, spirit is working through the Oracle cards to give you the exact one that you need for that person's personal reflection. Mm -hmm. So the Oracle cards that I use, there's all sorts of decks. I have like three decks right here, um, work through archetypes. So mm-hmm. archetypes that exist in the collective, uh, that have a lot of personal meaning from a lot of people assigned to them. And so it supposedly exists within the collective unconscious to give you information. And as you reflect on it through maybe like looking at it through reading a few key words, it guides your interpersonal wisdom, um, towards something. Mm. that it needs to kind of see so it invites perspective shifts i guess i love that i I would like to uh explore these with you yeah yes yeah i I Uh, could pull one but i mean it could just be a rabbit hole that's okay maybe maybe offline maybe (laughs) but my my thing around them is i feel very aligned with what you've just said right it Mm -hmm. kind of guides you to what's going on inside and i even Mm -hmm. see that in very like trivial things as well like your daily horoscope or you know somebody randomly who doesn't know what they're doing pulling a tarot card for you the reason why is because of a principle called perception is projection and this is something that Mm -hmm. we work on in nlp i've been talking about it at length on many recent episodes and the reason being is because this is the whole idea that none of us while we're having an individual sentient experience Mm -hmm. are able to see life objectively through this lens Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. can't you only see it through your beliefs your emotions your memories the perspectives of the people that are important to you in life like you only see it through your own experiences so to speak so Mm -hmm. thus everything you see in your environment everything that you're actually able to your attention actually gravitates towards you're seeing yourself yeah the Mm -hmm. the the mind can only take in 126 or process 126 bits of information per second. And in our modern age, we get hit with 11 million bits of information per second. So it's like wow. me handing you 126 toothpicks. Like you can absolutely handle that. But if I handed you 11 million, like yeah. <laughs> you can't even think of what that would look like. Well, and that's happening yeah. constantly. So how do you know which 126 to actually pay attention to? Well, you don't do it consciously for one. And the ones that you actually pay attention to are all Mm -hmm. filtered through your stuff, your beliefs, Mm -hmm. values, your emotions. Yeah, your some scars, like completely. So when I think of things like, you know, any of what we just mentioned, like tarot cards, horoscopes, something a little bit more uh, with a little bit more credibility, it sounds like with the, the Oracle cards. <laughs> um, when I think of anything like that, for that matter, if it grabs you emotionally in some mm-hmm. way, positive or negative, what it's doing is it's not, it's not some external thing telling you your destiny. Mm-hmm. My view, it's like, it is 
calling you to pay attention to something within yourself. The very fact that you noticed it for one mm-hmm. is, and then it came into your field of awareness in your external reality has its own significance. And it's not it, some outside thing necessarily telling you like, this is you, or like, I'm going to define you right now. I'm going to tell you what, what your future is and what, whatnot, but more so it's like calling to something that exists within you. And if it pisses you off, great. You have just discovered an area where you're not free and you are holding on probably for dear life onto one of your samskaras. <laughs> if it's exactly. good, maybe it's calling you to reaffirm something that you haven't been paying attention to within yourself that you haven't fully owned yet. And if it's something yeah. that you absolutely don't give a shit about, then either you don't give a shit about it, or maybe there's something that you've like not been paying attention to that perhaps is worth exploring around what beliefs you have around the thing that you seem to not care about. Yeah, totally. That's so good. Yeah, that's such a good summary of it. Because I mean, one of the ways you can use an Oracle card is just by looking at the imagery and mm-hmm. noticing you go into like unconscious writing for, you know, maybe a paragraph. What are the things that made you think? What are the made, things that made you feel? Mm-hmm. And that's exactly how you gain insight into, okay, what is going on inside? What's the internal landscape? Another thing I was thinking, I've nerded out with Sean about this. He knows way more about like quantum mechanics and all that than I do. But what you got me thinking about, again, it's not about something outside of you coming to tell you your destiny or what's happening, but like the observer principle, Mm -hmm. like in quantum mechanics, uh, when you draw an Oracle card, I'm almost wondering if that's sort of like the mechanics it could be working through where you are the observer. And as you're pulling it, all the quantum fluctuations are happening or whatever to allow this card to be exactly what you needed to see. Do you know what I mean? Like whatever is going on inside is what would bring that out. That's right. This is total like a hypothesis. I have no idea. I'm not a quantum. I, 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 can, I can see that. I, I would entertain that because at the end of the day, I could sit here and be like, well, because I don't know that, then I don't believe that, but I don't know how that works. I don't know. Right. <laughs> I'm so open-minded now, though, right. like, even around the limitations of science, like, you know, who knows, but it's just so fascinating. And that's been a big part of my journey too, is actually weaving together spirituality and uh, science. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you do this a lot too, because you know about how neurotransmitters work and then also like about how to clear ancestral stuff. Like I really think there's a beautiful marriage happening in our world right now where they're no longer separate. And it reminds me about how we also like can separate spirit from matter. You know, it's it's actually a really important part to a balanced spirituality is having an embodied practice and to bringing it here into the physical um, same thing with like science and spirituality, you know, like a balanced approach considers both of them because they're both trying to show something about truth. Mm-hmm. And it's like, gets me going on duality. Like there, I had such a way of thinking about things in black and white mm-hmm. and this showed up in like motherhood. Right. And it showed up in entrepreneurship. Like I could be an entrepreneur or I could be a mother. I couldn't be both. Mm-hmm. And when I started noticing now, I see it everywhere. Like the importance of having non-black and white thinking and inviting the and both have you heard that like and both yes and <laughs> yeah both. and both to like a balanced view like it invites so much more opportunity to like expand and to grow mm-hmm. that felt really important it just came up right now <laughs> uh, that's beautiful I like that it's uh 
It's fascinating because we, we were talking about Mark Devine a little earlier in this conversation. One of the things, one of the distinctions that he helped me with in just in that episode is I, I said something and I made like an error because I said between your mind and your body. I think I said something mm-hmm. along those lines. And he's like, it's not mind and body. He's like, it's mind body. It's like, it's one thing. <laughs> he, yeah. goes, he goes, there's no such thing as a person with like a really unhealthy body who has a strong mind. He's like, that's not how it works. Like, mm, it's, it's one thing. It's not yeah. both. And the, and the separation of them, that compartmentalization that we engage in is in large part exacerbating our suffering. Yeah, I love that. Wow. How do you feel about compartmentalization? Because like, it can be useful, right? To understand things sometimes, but yeah. How do you feel about it? Because it's so true. It's not separate. Yeah. I think like, like anything else, right? You use it for its, it doesn't exist. Like the concept of that or the, the pattern of that doesn't exist as an error in the universe. I wouldn't say that. Right. So I'm not going to say sit here and say like, oh, it's wrong to do uh-huh. that. Um, I think it has its function. I think in the way that we operate in our society, it's needed in certain moments, right? Like if you're in the middle of a business meeting and a samskara comes up and you need to like deliver a pitch and sell a service, like you're not like, yeah. hold on a second, let me process my emotions. Like you need to be able <laughs> to finish your presentation and sell the thing so that you yeah, can totally. like, you know, advance in your career. Because these I guess things- you could digest it in the business meeting. Like could, I mean, <laughs> like, you can't, you know, there's, you must do it in a different way. Perhaps you need to become more flexible about how you deal with it. You can't go, you know, cry in the corner necessarily and start journaling, but excuse me, everyone, <laughs> I'll be right back. <laughs> but I think for momentary things in life where you need to function in a specific way in order to get a result, that's where it's important. But mm-hmm. I think, you know, going back to the the point that we were talking about, about, about this clinging and holding on to an attachment, I feel mm. like people compartmentalize and then they attach to that compartmentalization because it worked for that one thing. Like, cool. Yeah. I'm just going to hold on to this because it worked. Therefore it's probably going to work for everything else. And the compartmentalization of the egoic mind points to the great suffering that we experience, like the whole, mm. uh, complexity or the pathology of our of our suffering experience is in large part due to not just compartmentalization but holding on to the compartmentalization the attachment of it mm-hmm. yeah. and like fragmenting ourselves sense. into parts like instead yeah. of a unified whole being it's like well in this context of my life I'm this person and in this one I'm this person like yeah why <laughs> yeah yeah I love that yeah it just leads to more integration when you can let go of the attachment to it and find it useful when, when necessary. But yeah, it's, I, I think you're right. I think it's the attachment. I was just curious. It brought up the question and that is what kind of yeah. happened when, as I was shedding my personal, some scars around my first attempt at, at uh, entrepreneurship mm-hmm. um, this time around, I was feeling them triggered. Like, and I kept digesting them because what worked before, like he said, like was no longer going to work because now I have a daughter and now I have two. So, you know, being attached to what worked before can really slow you down 
And I think that's part of the whole surrender. It is like it's the surrendering your attachment to what worked before, I guess. That's right. <laughs> and inviting spirit to come and continue to to show you something even more amazing, like mm-hmm. better way to do it. And that's that constant evolution. That's right. Yeah, that's fascinating. It, um, it's interesting because in the last training that I did, the uh, the NLP master practitioner training mm-hmm. where I was assisting, there was a portion of it where I I was actually a student because there was a certification called PACE that I hadn't yet done, right? That was a new thing for me. So for a few Mm -hmm. days of the training, I was a student and I also got to participate in the PACE breakthroughs, which is like a full eight hour session, very similar to the liberation session. Um, The fundamentals of the foundations of liberation session come from like this work. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's where they originated. And I you know, put my own little flavor in there as well, but, <laughs> but a lot of it comes from that, that type of work. So I got to be the client in a session very much like the ones that I do for people on a regular basis. And cool. in going through that, the thing that came out of it as my number one value uh, in business, but it also, as I think about it, it has become my number one value just across the board, which to me is a great thing because it starts to break through and uh, dismantle the compartmentalization of my ego, of my psyche, whatever you want to call it. And that number one value is Kokoro, which is heart and mind aligned in action. It's a Japanese heart word. mind. Yes, essentially that. Like, and, mm-hmm. and, and specifically like in action, not just like sitting there, but like heart and mind aligned in action and through the expression of like and anything that you do, anything that you express or say. So that came to be and I, I, I was aware of the word, but I never associated it to like how I am or how I'm being. So yeah. what's really interesting is that, you know, going on this conversation of compartmentalization that discovery within myself started to break things down and remove the desire to, in essence, separate who I am from my mm. work and my personal life necessarily. And just like, this is me and how mm-hmm. I express and mm-hmm. that will develop and that will grow and I'll let things go and I'll, you know, bring new things in. Yeah. And as long as it's meeting that value, that number one value, that North star, then I know that that will allow me to operate in wholeness rather than fragmented. And it's you had a similar realization between like being an entrepreneur and being a mother, like, well, no, neither of those things are my identity. I am me and and I do the following things. I express myself in the following ways. Yeah. No, that's so good. Actually, I just did. That's so funny. I just did a parts integration NLP with those two aspects of myself. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's I did fun. that. And then I did the energy clearing around uh, kind of surrendering. Again, it's like, what is your idea of it, of how you think this wants to be manifested? And that's your samskaras or your personal lenses, all the belief systems of how you think it should manifest. Mm. And as you let that go and surrender that, then it can be more integrated in a way that kind of serves the highest level that it can so even I think when you have good intentions around like your identities like sometimes we're we're still trying to control how that wants to manifest and it's separated like because yeah we don't have the same power you said it earlier I don't remember how you said it but the egoic mind doesn't have the same power basically as I forgot what you called it but like just the say spirit. yeah in, in zen super mind small mind and big mind 
oh, okay, big yeah. mind. Yeah, big yeah. mind can do it so much better than <laughs> small mind. Yeah. So Michael Singer calls it, I think, the personal heart versus the spiritual heart mm-hmm. and uh, the personal mind versus the intellectual mind. And so even that is fascinating to me. Like, mm-hmm. I think sometimes people belittle the mind and thinking because they're, mm-hmm. you know, trying to be spiritual. But there's a difference between is it being painted by limiting beliefs by the goic mind, uh, which is the personal mind. But as you shed that through your simscar digestion, you have access to intellectual mind to mm-hmm. create on your behalf without all that junk with spirit right <laughs> or big mind. <laughs> That's right. Uh, what's hilarious about that example is like when people try to belittle the mind in it with because they want to be spiritual or <laughs> they're trying to champion their spiritual mind. The yeah. hilarious thing about that is that that can actually only be done by the small mind, by the egoic mind. So it's really like the mind, like the small mind belittling itself, True. <laughs> thinking that it's being spiritual. So it like strengthens the, the, the bind that it's putting itself in. It's, um, yeah, it's like it's cute. Of, my favorite philosopher, uh, Alan Watts, what he would say is like the biggest ego trip out there is getting rid of your ego because that just yes. gives you invincible ego. <laughs> <laughs> I love I love Alan Watts and I haven't heard that bit from him, but that is so true. And that was so my experience. <laughs> yeah. Because when I said like I, I was separating uh spiritual and material for so long, like mm-hmm. that's what it was doing is like the ego was trying to exterminate the ego through small mind, and it was just like tearing me apart. <laughs> and then once I realized, like, no, like the spiritual is here, duh, where am I on planet Earth? Like, <laughs> exactly. and, yeah, and learning to embody, like, it just started flowing so much more. That's so funny. <laughs> it is. It's like, it's like trying to bite your own teeth. It's like, yeah, you doing? cosmic joke. <laughs> yeah. <exactly. laughs> oh my God. Like, when you see it that way, it just becomes kind of cute, like a cute problem. <laughs> adorable <laughs> my my girlfriend and I we we always talk about this idea and um we discuss the idea of what what we like to call small mind manifestations mm. and there's a movie that has like a like does this beautifully like expresses this point it's like it's a little bit older it's called uh-huh. bedazzled did you ever see I've it never heard of it uh-oh no so it's like Netflix? um it might be uh Ooh, it was I'll look it up so it's with uh, Brendan Fraser, where oh, he, yeah, he basically meets the devil okay. and she gives him seven wishes. And when he's like wishing for these things, like one of his first wishes that he, he asked for, he says, I want to be rich. I want to be powerful. And I want to be married to this girl who's my crush. And she's like, okay, cool. So <laughs> she gives him his wish, but what she gives him is he's now a Colombian drug lord. Yeah. And there's a bunch of people trying to kill him. Oh my gosh. He has this like massive house, but like his own people that are in his crew don't like him. And his wife hates him, like hates his guts and is cheating on him with her English instructor. And so he has all the things that he said he wanted via the egoic mind. And yet there's all this shit that like ruins the whole thing. And then he like, he has the ability to opt out of the wish, you know, if he wants to leave. And so he does. And then he like all the rest of his wishes, there's a very similar track like that. Like it just, all of them seem to like give him the same thing 
over and yeah. over. Like he tries to be as specific as he can using his egoic mind, yet what he manifests via these wishes is like, yes, all the things that he want and then a bunch of stuff that he doesn't want because he is not actually in that sense, surrendering to what could be. And the reason yeah. why I bring up this idea of small mind manifestations is because at least for myself, the greatest things in my life that I have experienced and that I cherish and that I have the most gratitude for are all the things that I didn't know how to ask for. Yeah. So I would loosely hold on to what I wanted to manifest and bring into my life and just surrender to the form in which it comes. Yeah. Wow. That is so good. And it like that it's that theme of surrender. It just keeps coming up. And I think what's beautiful about both the energy medicine and the plant medicine is there's such a big surrender aspect to both. Mm -hmm. Like every time I'm about to take plant medicine, I'm a little bit nervous because it's like you're 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 going through a little bit of a mini ego death like that's that is the process of letting go of the small mind of the way you think things should work out because the plant medicine is going to show you something totally different that's right when you surrender to it and same with going around the energy wheel there's there, there's always a little bit of fear because when you work on the energetic level you're releasing all control mm. and this character in the movie like that's so funny. No matter how specific he tried to get, it kept manifesting in a specific way. Mm -hmm. Well, like what that would tell me through my training is that his imprints in his energy field, those samskaras, mm -hmm. keep manifesting the same thing because they're they're there. And when you clear them, it's gone. And then you're really surrendered though, because you've lost all control of how you think it should work. That's and right then spirit can come through and like manifest it even in an even greater big mind way. That's right. And I think what I've realized recently, like, like you said, I was just reflecting on this um, last month, the most beautiful creations in my life are those I didn't know how to ask. That is so true for me. Mm -hmm. And what I've really been anchoring this year is the, the belief that like the universe truly has your back mm -hmm. and like, is just truly going to serve up everything you could you don't even know that you want to dream of mm -hmm. and when you really like let that belief sink in and you can embody it and feel it in your being like then that that is what is just so fascinating like that is exactly what is created that's right and that was so hard for me for so long to really embody because I knew intellectually the universe has my back but you know it wasn't manifesting that way and when I began to integrate body with mind not separate body mind mm -hmm. and use embodiment practices to also like know what that feels like in the body mm -hmm. then it just completely started transforming and I would start seeing magic every day not just in my oracle cards mm -hmm. but also like I would see nature speaking to me like in mm -hmm. meaningful ways miracles happening with my daughters like miracles happening with my husband just continuing to surrender, 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 and really know that the universe has your back. That's it's right. game yeah. changer. Wow. Yeah. I got to watch that movie. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's, it's hilarious. You, you see Brendan Fraser, he has such range in that movie. <laughs> it, it's amazing. It's, it's pretty old. It's like, I think either late 1990s or like early 2000s or something like that. I don't remember the exact date when it came out. Yeah. But I was a kid when I first watched it and I found it hilarious then and I find it hilarious now. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's got to be so funny. It is. Um, it's a great one. He needs some plant medicine. 
<laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think it wouldn't uh, be as funny though, I guess either. No, it wouldn't be. It, it's the, the ending is also very poetic. So I'll let you like experience that on your own watching it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, so there, there's a, there's two more questions that I wanted to ask you before oh, yeah. we wrapped up. The first one is going back into the, the work that you're going to be doing in this program, mm -hmm. who, who does this serve or who, who would be the best type of candidate to reach out to you if they're looking for or interested in what you're doing? Yeah. Um, so this is a funny question because my, in my mind, and I'm completely surrendering it to, mm -hmm. uh, mothers because that's been my my personal journey yes. um feeling called to serve mothers mm -hmm. but also i'd say anybody is a candidate who is wanting who's seeing patterns in their life that maybe they've done a lot of talk therapy or a lot of thinking and understanding around and they're continuing to show up um a lot of times that's a sign that something is imprinted in the energy field so you've, you've done all the, the work, understanding the problem and trying to fix the external behaviors, but it's still there. Uh, there's something that maybe hasn't been fully digested. Mm. So I had an intention. Um, I have an intention to, to serve mothers, but I am also surrendering that because I'm in the very early stages. So I'd say anybody who's done a lot of personal work and is seeing patterns show up in their life and wants to let go of the story and yeah. invite big mind or spirit to come, come aid, uh, in, in their manifestations. <laughs> I love that. That's awesome. And my final question is what does it mean to you to live a liberated life? Mm. Yeah, it, it really, this surrender theme is so big for me right now. It, it really feels like the more I let go, of the way I think things should be or the way I feel things should be, mm -hmm. uh, the more things just keep unfolding beautifully and it just makes me feel so free. And, and so I get all those like core, I guess those cliches. Mm -hmm. It's different. The map is not the territory, right? Like right. <laughs> when you start feeling the pain of your attachments and you learn how to let them go through all the ways that are out there, it's you, you feel so free to just enjoy what's in front of you it, it's bringing me to tears like that is what's happened in my marriage and in my with my daughters like the more I let go and just let it happen <laughs> get some scar I let it out <laughs> the more it just starts to to be so beautiful and yeah I just feel so free to enjoy it <laughs> amazing I, yeah. I love that answer and it's it's so true and it's something that is a continual process throughout our lives so I, I so appreciate you being on the show today, Sydney. And oh, uh, where can people find you if they're interested in checking out your work and uh, what you're building? Yeah. Uh, I'm terrible with, that's one of those things. Maybe you can help me with all the technology <laughs> stuff. I'm not good with technology. I have an Instagram, um, Sydney, S-I-D-N-E-Y, Olivia G. Mm -hmm. I will start using it. <laughs> Beautiful. And then my personal, my personal email, Sydney Perez. Uh, 55 at gmail.com. <laughs> Amazing. Sydney, thanks you. Thank you so much for being on Zen Stoic Path. So fun. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Love you, Victor. Love you.